0: Good afternoon from rainy downtown Tyler. We have gotten a lot of wonderful rain today and I hope wherever you are, uh, you are safe and warm or cool and dry as it might be and that you are able to uh, do what you need to do today in this exciting and fun time of the season. It's been uh, uh, a quick run through the first half of December. My goodness gracious, we're, we're well into it and Christmas is around the corner. Uh, New Year's and uh, all of it is just moving right along. Soon we'll be in 2023. Can you believe it? Uh, but before we get there, we've got some Bible to read, don't we? We are going along through the Daily Bible in Chronological Order by F. Lickard Smith. I hope you're keeping up and I hope you're enjoying that. Remember, even though it's this late in the year, if you haven't started or if you've gotten behind, read today's reading first and it's exciting stuff because we find ourselves today going through the last several chapters of the book of Acts and it's a very adventurous story as we read the account of the different events in Paul's life during that time. And then when we finish the book of Acts, Paul is in jail in Rome awaiting um, a trial before the Emperor Caesar, uh, the Emperor Nero and uh, uh, waiting to to be either released or put to death he ends up being released history tells us but while he's there he's very productive because he's writing epistles and those are the that's what we're going to have our lesson on on thursday or what we call those prison epistles ephesians philippians colossians and philemon Uh, but we've got to get him there first and where we left him wasn't in rome and wasn't even under arrest yet so let's do that Uh, Starting in chapter 20, as Paul continues on, we're in the third mission journey, and uh, he's expecting to continue on in spreading the gospel and working with churches and with people, and that's what we find in chapter 20. And uh, we'll start in verse 7. We kind of got to around here uh, in our readings the last week or so, and uh, today we're going to get through these chapters in Acts, starting in chapter 20. And in, um, in Acts chapter 20, verse seven is a verse that uh, those in churches of Christ are very familiar with, probably, uh, upon the first day of the week, it says, we came together to break bread. And there aren't very many scriptures actually in, in the Bible, in the New Testament about um, the Lord's day, about the worship service, but this is one of them. And it's really interesting to me that It's a great example for us because we travel sometimes and we're away from home sometimes. It's a lot easier now to stay connected with the church and with worship because of the wonders of technology today, including uh, the Internet and online services and live streaming and uh, archives and all of that. We have those as well. Uh, But in Paul's day, it wasn't nearly that easy, and the amazing thing is he still was committed to doing it. I think this story in the first seven or eight verses of the book of Acts reminds us how important a worship assembly is and how important partaking of communion is. Uh, On the first day of the week, uh, we came together to break bread, I think he's talking about uh, the Lord's Supper there. They did that every Sunday in the New Testament times, and we should, too. We should too. You say, "Oh, but Bill, it's going to get old." No, it won't get old. Not everyone's going to be a mountain peak experience every week. And in our church, we have different men that stand up and volunteers and share a little bit when we gather around the table. And I think I think that helps. I think that helps. This last Sunday, uh, Dale Blackstone, one of our wonderful uh, members and teachers in our children's uh, Bible uh, program. Uh, Had a a crown of thorns with him that one of our elderly members, Ruby Cliver, had given uh, him years ago. And he had that and brought that up and showed that to us and talked about the the suffering that Jesus went through for us. And it was a wonderful presentation. So I hope that you're committed to doing that, partaking of the bread to remember the body of Christ and the, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, to remember his blood that was shed for us. Uh, Because this passage certainly in Acts chapter 20, verse 7 indicates that. How important was it? Well, Paul made sure, even when he was traveling, that he sought out the church. And that's exactly what verse 7 says. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Did you get that? Did you see how long Paul's sermon was? Yeah, I know he was traveling. I know he was an inspired apostle. I know he was worried that he was going to have to leave this church and wasn't going to be able to, to visit with them anymore. And so he spoke a long time. And granted, their days in the Jewish world, they their days would begin with sundown. And so at dusk was when their their, their day went from evening to evening rather than from midnight to midnight. Uh, and so likely this uh, first day of the week started. Uh, it was a Sunday night service, and, um, and, but Paul preached and preached and preached. Well, as you know from this story, there was a young man by the name of Eutychus who was sitting in a window, and uh, because Paul droned on and on and on, he fell asleep and actually fell out of the window. And he was on the second floor, one of the upper floors, and actually died from the fall. But Paul went down and raised him from the dead, and then he brought him in and he said, hey, let's give this boy some food, and they did. And it's a great example of uh, what has gone on since the very first in Acts chapter 2, that they would have uh, worship together, they would share a meal together, and sometime in the context of that meal, they would have a special part, which was uh, the breaking of the bread that... Jesus called us to do in remembering his body broken for us and the pouring out of the cup, the grape juice, the fruit of the vine that we take, remembering his blood that was shed for us. And so that's what they did in that church uh, in Troas. And then the the journey goes on, and this is one of those places where you hear the first person plural, uh, Luke recording and writing the book of Acts, talking about how we went on ahead to the ship and sailed uh, for Assos where we were going to take Paul aboard, verse 13. And here Paul continues on this journey as he's uh, traveling along. Uh, he did not stop, one didn't want to stop in Ephesus. and so he stopped at this little island uh, called Miletus. It's just off the coast of modern day Turkey. and the western part of that was the first century Roman uh, province of Asia. And that's what they called the province of Asia. And within that city, in that uh, district, there were churches of Colossae, uh, uh, Laodicea. Remember the seven churches of Asia, all of those? Well, one of those is Ephesus. And so in in Acts 20, Paul calls from that island of Miletus to uh, the city of Ephesus and has the Ephesian elders come to him instead of him taking the time and getting distracted and sidetracked. As he had done before, remember there was a riot in Ephesus the last time he was there in chapter 19. And so he doesn't want to go through all of that again. So they come to him and he talks to them about being shepherds. And he talks to them and warns them that even from some among their own group uh, we're going to uh, try to uh, encourage disciples for themselves rather than for Jesus Christ. And so he warned them. He told them he may not ever see them alive again. And at the end, uh, they have this very emotional send-off where Paul and the elders are just crying and they're they're hurting because of what Paul said about he may not see them alive again. But before he goes, uh, one of the things he tells them is a very important verse, I think, when you're talking about the work of elders or shepherds, pastors. That's the word pastor is the word shepherd. Elders are that in the church. And in verse 28 of Acts 20, Uh, Paul says this, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the word bishop, another word describing the elders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Uh, That term is the term shepherd, and it's used as a verb, shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And this is amazing to me because he's calling on them to be watchful and to keep watch, but he's also calling on them to be good overseers and good shepherds uh, and to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased, which Jesus bought with his own blood. And they're not elders of any other church except their church. They're in Ephesus. And yet Paul says Jesus bought that church with his own blood. So I hope that you understand wherever whatever church you're a part of, that church is what Jesus bought with his blood. Our church, the West Irwin Church of Christ, and our seven pastors, overseers, shepherds, elders, uh, they hear the same call to shepherd the church of God here at West Irwin that Jesus purchased with his own blood. It's just an incredible, incredible thing. And then he talks about uh, Committing them to God in verse 32 and reminding them of the good things that he had done in their presence. And there's one of the Beatitudes that's not found in, um, in Matthew chapter 5 where the other Beatitudes are, but it's a different one. It's from Jesus. If you have a red letter edition, then this verse Uh, at the end of verse 35 of Acts 20 is in red, and it's one of those verses that comes out of nowhere at us, but it's where Paul records Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's a great statement. It's from the Lord, but we don't have it in the Gospels. We have it here from the words of Paul who had seen the Lord, who had been instructed by the Lord, and shares what the Lord said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, in chapter 21, they continue on, and ultimately they get to Jerusalem, where Paul wants to go upon his arrival. It's interesting that the way it's recorded, it says that they were met by James and the elders. James, the half-brother of the Lord. Remember James, the brother of John, one of the 12 apostles had been killed in Acts chapter 20 by King Herod. And so this is James, the half-brother of the Lord, who had not believed in Jesus until after the resurrection. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, specifically says that Jesus appeared to James. And I don't think his life was ever the same. So he saw how he died, and he saw how he was raised, and he saw him alive. And James became one of the primary leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and in Acts chapter 15, you remember when they had that conference to talk about what are we going to do with all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish Christians? Are we going to make them keep the law? Are we going to make the men be circumcised? And James is the one, not one of the apostles, but James kind of took the lead and said, here's what we should do. And that's exactly what they did. Well, Paul meets with James and with the others, and they talk to him in chapter 21, and they say, look, there's a lot being said about you, buddy, <laughs> and not all of it's good, and there's a lot of our Jewish brothers and sisters who are concerned uh, that you have just thrown away your whole Jewish culture, and we know that's not true, and, and here's what we suggest. There's a group of men here who have taken a vow, could have been a Nazarite vow, very likely was, and uh, we think it would be good uh, PR for you, Paul, to join them in this and to pay for their uh, cost. And to join them in this vow. And so Paul does, you know, not because he had to, not because it was required of salvation, but because it was the right thing to do. And it was something that would help uh, generate that goodwill between him and the Jews and between him and the Jewish Christians. Uh, this is one of those episodes where we find the relationship versus the issue uh, that uh, Dr. Randy Lowry of Lipscomb. Uh, has given us a very helpful model for conflict management. We talked about that some uh, earlier in the book of Acts. And this is one of those places where the relationship is all important. Uh, The issue, does Paul have to do it? No, he doesn't. But that's not the important part of this this time. The important part this time is building that relationship. And so Paul is willing to do it and he does exactly that. Well, later on, there's uh, some rumors that he has brought Gentiles into the temple, which was not true. But there were some men that were with him from Asia uh, traveling with him, but they didn't go in the temple, but they arrested him anyway. And so now Paul is about to be killed by the Jews. And the Roman commander (laughs) uh, there in Jerusalem, he he takes over and he uh, actually protects Paul. And so Paul asks his permission to speak, and he does. And this is in Acts chapter 22 is one of two places where Paul tells the story of his conversion Uh, in Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. Luke had recorded it in Acts 9. And so in Acts 22, he talks about his background and how he persecuted the church, how he was a faithful Jew. Uh, And all along the way, he says, I was trying to do the right thing. And I thought the right thing was to uh, persecute this church who claimed that Jesus, this crucified criminal, was the Messiah. And that was more than he could stomach. And then he says, as he was on on the road to Damascus, um, Jesus finds him and appears to him. uh, One of those places where uh, 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 a name is repeated, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Jesus, uh, Saul's response, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And Saul asks, What do I do? And the word is there. Get up and go into the city, and there it will be told you what you must do. And that's when Ananias comes to him after he had been uh, given the message and the call from the Lord. And Ananias goes to him, and he tells him in verse uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 16, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. I think that's a very significant verse, Acts 22, verse 16. Uh, Because Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, had seen the Lord. There's no question but that he believed. He had been praying and fasting for three days. There's no question but that he had repented. And yet when Ananias comes to him, he says, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is a part of that response of faith. It's, it's how our sins are washed away. And if Jesus hadn't died, it wouldn't mean anything. But because he died, we can respond in faith. We can believe. We can repent and change our lives. We can confess that faith that we have, and we can be baptized and have our sins washed away. And that's how, according to the Scripture anyway, we call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean just saying, Lord, Lord. In fact, Jesus himself said, In Matthew 7, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And I think we see Saul of Tarsus willingly obeying that command and being baptized into Christ and immediately starting uh, to preach there in Damascus and then having to uh, be stolen away by night because they were trying to kill him. And uh, Paul continues on in telling um, his story. And when he gets to the point to where Jesus says, go, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. The Jews have heard enough and they're ready, uh, to take his life. And, uh, the Romans authorities are not all that, uh, worried about it anymore. They're thinking, well, we'll just arrest him, have him beaten and send him away. But Paul announces that he is a Roman citizen. And uh, the commander himself says, hey, I spent a lot of money for my citizenship. And Paul says, yeah, well, I was born a Roman citizen. His parents were Roman citizens. He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he puts it. But he was also a Roman citizen by birth. And uh, the commander, when everyone hears that, they say, well, this guy, uh, we've got to protect this guy. And so they do. Uh, Paul appears before the, the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders uh, of the Jews in chapter 23, and uh, Jesus appears to him and says, hey, look, you have been my witness in Jerusalem, but you're also going to be my witness in Rome. And so he says, take courage, be brave. And um, and that's what Paul does. Um some of the Jews have plotted to kill him, and uh, they're they're trying to get um, uh, the Roman commander to kind of ease up the, the security. Uh, Paul's nephew hears about it and tells Paul, and then Paul says, Okay, I want you to go tell the commander, and he does. And the commander says, Okay, don't worry about it. I'll take care of this. And he gets a very heavily armed Roman guard, cavalry and all and transports Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which was a very important uh, city uh, for the Romans uh, in that part of the country. And so he goes to Caesarea, the governor's name is Felix, and the commander there in Jerusalem uh, sends him this note and tells him what's going on, and so now Paul is there. Well Felix, the governor, is glad because he wants to kind of hear the stories about Paul as well, and so he hears from Paul, and he hears the story of everything that's gone on. Paul, again, tells a little bit more of an abbreviated version of uh, his story. And so Felix, in verse 22 of Acts 24, it says he was well acquainted with the way. Um, and so after the, uh, when the commander comes, he says, I'll decide your case. And he ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but gave him some freedom. And also Felix came uh, with his wife to hear Paul. And he wanted to hear the message about Paul. It also indicates that he was hoping Paul would give him some kind of bribe or something. But verse 25 of Acts 24 says this, As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. In the familiar translation, Felix trembled, and he said, "When I get a convenient season, I'll send for you." Well, that convenient season, as best we can tell, never came. I mean, Felix was looking for a bribe. It goes on to say, talked with him frequently, um, but it—you don't wait for it to, a convenient time. Uh, we heard from one of our men, Stan Clark, this past Sunday, as he shared the story of his conversion, and he said, "Look, when it when it hit me." that I needed to be baptized, I, I did it right away. And Felix didn't have that conviction. We need that conviction as well. If you've never been baptized into Christ, I hope that you will get some teaching and that you'll do some study and that you'll do that uh, because it is a part of the response of faith. It is the most important decision you can make in your entire life. Yes, even more important than who you marry because this has eternal consequences. The response of faith through the blood of Christ. You shall be saved by grace through faith. That's what allows us to be in heaven for eternity with God and with Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, Felix leaves him in there for two years and then he's succeeded. He has to leave his job as governor there in Caesarea and he is succeeded by Portius Festus. You remember Festus, right? Uh, After he retires from being governor of Caesarea, he becomes deputy sheriff uh, for Marshal Matt Dillon. Hope you caught that. Um, But this is Portius Festus and uh, he leaves Paul in prison because he wants to uh, stroke the Jews a little bit and so he doesn't have him released even though he likely knows That he's an innocent man and so um, the governor the new governor Festus hears Paul and then he talks to King Agrippa who had come there simply because uh, when you have a new uh, leadership changeover then everybody comes by and visits and you know pays respects and that's what happens and so Festus tells Agrippa about Paul and he says you know I'd like to hear this story myself and uh, so Paul uh, uh, gets to go before uh, King Agrippa and um, and Bernice. and But while Paul is talking to Festus, he reminds him, look, I'm a citizen of Rome. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm not going to get a fair shake from my people, the Jews, so I don't want you to release me to them. I appeal to Caesar. He says that in uh, verse 11 of Acts 25. And uh, Festus, in a very dramatic fashion, Luke records, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And, uh, but before then, uh, Agrippa is there, and Paul is able to tell his story before Agrippa. Remember in Acts 22, before the Jewish leaders, he told his story. And now in Acts 26, before the Roman authorities, the governor Festus and uh, King Agrippa, he is able to uh, tell his story again. And so we hear him saying the same things in Acts 26, uh, Saul, Saul, uh, verse 14, Why do you persecute me? But this time it's a little different than in Acts 9 when Paul, when Luke records it and in Acts 22 when Paul tells, tells the story. He adds something here. It uh, doesn't mean that he didn't tell the truth before. It just means he didn't have to tell everything. But he tells something more in verse 14. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And you see Jesus prodding him and prodding him and prodding him. And instead of hearing that and and uh, making changes in his life, Saul was kicking it and kicking it away, kicking it away. Much like an animal, when you're trying to prod them to get, go forward, they, they fight it. And that's what Saul was doing. And so Jesus, again, uh, identifies himself. And Ananias, of course, is the man who would come and baptize um, Saul. Uh, but Saul has got an audience there. He's telling this story because he wants to tell the story, and he wants those who are listening uh, to become Christians. And so uh, uh, he talks to King Agrippa, and he says, you know, this this is something that's not been done in secret, and you're very much aware of this, and I know you are. And uh, the governor, Festus, accuses him of being insane, In verse 24, and then Paul replies in verses 25 and following, and he says, look, I'm not insane. I'm not a crazy person. What I'm telling you is the truth. I'm telling you the things I I witnessed and experienced. And he says, the king knows this. And he says, I know. I know, Agrippa, that you know this. And um, in verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian. Acts 26, verse 28. The traditional translation, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And we get that great hymn, Almost Persuaded, such a wonderful invitation hymn. But Agrippa is saying, do you think, Paul, in such a short time, one Bible study, (laughs) that you could convert me? And uh, Paul replied in verse 29, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today, May become what I am except for these chains. He doesn't wish uh, imprisonment on anybody, but what he does wish is the gospel and salvation. And so um, the king rises and leaves, Bernice with him, uh, Festus the governor, and they say, you know, this is an innocent man. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have let him go, which is not what Paul wanted because he knew the Jews would kill him. And so they say, well, he's appealed to Caesar so that's where he's going, and that gets us to Acts twenty-seven, which is such an incredible chapter. I wish I could go through it just line by line because it's so exciting. Uh, they're ready to set sail. They find a uh, they find a ship that will work, and Paul tells them, "Hey, look, guys, th- this is not the right time to take this trip. I'm telling you, it's not going to go well." But they think, "Oh, yeah, it'll go. It'll. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this." It's getting late in the season, and Paul says, "Look." Don't go, I'm telling you, don't go, And uh, and but they do, and, and ends up, uh, they get a nice breeze, and it seems good, and then all of a sudden, that nor'easter comes in, and I always think of Gordon Lightfoot and the song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, love that song. Uh, well, in this case, they get thrown out to sea, and this uh, storm, this wind comes through, and they are out in the Mediterranean, they're not able to stay near land, and they're out and they're out for about two weeks. And after about two weeks, they start tossing stuff. They toss away some of the cargo, um, they toss away some of the provisions. And then Paul comes to them and he says, Look, you guys, you haven't eaten in, in two weeks. Uh, none of this would have happened. It kind of says, I told you so, if you would listened to me. But here we are. And God has sent me a message that nobody's life will be taken if you stay with the ship. And so he encourages them to eat, and they do, and it sounds something much like what Jesus did at the Last Supper. It's not a communion service, it's a meal. But Paul blesses the bread, breaks it, and gives it to them, and all of that, because that's what we do. We say grace, right? And that's what Paul does. And then they throw the rest of the food overboard. And it's really crazy because the storm is so strong that they have to send divers underneath the ship with a rope so that they can basically tie the ship together. And remember, this isn't like even the Titanic that you see or or our nice big boats today or big ships today. This is a one of those little ships that carries people. We're talking the first century here. And so they're able to to keep the boat together, there are some who decide, you know, I, I think the ship's going down. We need to get in that lifeboat and get out of here. And Paul tells the ship's captain, look, if they leave, they're going to die, I'm telling you. And so he cuts the lifeboat away, and they they send that out to sea. And so they're starting to uh, go through a night where they think they'll never see daylight, but they finally do, and they begin to take soundings, and they realize that, hey, the water depth is getting smaller. And so they know they're approaching some kind of land. They don't know where, but they're approaching land. And so they do and they keep going and they keep going and then they run aground and um, the ship is pretty much shattered. And so the people who can swim, the commander says swim to shore. And the ones that can't swim, find a piece of wood that you can use uh, to get there. But they all get there. No, they don't lose anybody. They don't lose any prisoners. They don't lose any lives. And they get there, and they're on this island called Malta, uh, near Italy. And um, and as as they're there, they uh, are helped by the natives there. It's a very warm uh, people. And as they are, uh, as Paul is uh, putting some wood on the fire, taking some wood off to get to the fire, there's a uh, a viper there, and it locks itself on to his arm, and. All of the natives think, wow, this guy, he survived the shipwreck, but boy, the fate, the gods really have it in for him because now he's got this snake. But Paul just shakes the snake off, and they're all watching and waiting for him to die, and he doesn't. And then they go from figuring he's a cursed man to a god (laughs) because of what happens. Uh, But ultimately, they're able to uh, wait the season out and then secure another uh, ship, and they cross over. Uh, to Italy. And, um, and that's when Paul finds some disciples. As they go on through chapter 28, uh, Paul begins his journey inland in Italy, uh, up uh, the country, up that boot from the south to the north uh, to get to the city of Rome. And along the way, he's met by Christians. Uh, there are some Christians from Rome that hear he's on his way and they go down and they meet him. Um, and it's a it's a wonderful thing and so they arrive at Rome uh, in chapter 28 verse 11 uh, they finally get on that last leg and uh, and so they came uh, to Rome and while he's there the Jewish leaders come and they meet him and they talk to him and and they want to know about him and Paul again says hey look I've done nothing to break the law in fact I am I am committed to Uh, to that law being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so while he's there uh, in Rome, verse 30 of chapter 28, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He was kind of under house arrest. He couldn't go see them while he waited for, for his appeal to Caesar, the emperor Nero. Uh, And so he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In spite of everything that he had been through on those mission journeys, being in prison, being beaten, uh, being left for dead, now being on this ship and being shipwrecked, having to appeal to Caesar, the Roman pagan emperor, because his own people, the Jews, would not give him a fair trial. Um, And now he's waiting. And as And while he's waiting, he's going to write those epistles we call the prison epistles. I think very likely written while he's here. Not everybody agrees with that, but I think that makes sense. And he writes uh, Ephesians, that great book of Ephesians. Philippians, a a joyful book to a church that financially supported him. Sent him even money while he was there. Um, Colossians, a great church and a great message for us today that talks about how to deal with the philosophies of the day versus the gospel of Christ and its supremacy, and a short letter that he writes himself to Philemon, one of the leaders of the church at Colossae. And uh, and he delivers that letter at the hands of an escaped slave that Philemon owned that had run away and had found Paul and had been converted. And now Paul was sending him home as a brother, not as a slave. Uh, that's the book of philemon it's a wonderful short little book and we're going to talk about all four of those on thursday and uh, i hope you've enjoyed this this run through the book of acts Uh, from here we're going to look at those prison epistles and then we're going to see the rest of the new testament read through the great book of hebrews for example and look at those letters of john first second and third john that short one chapter letter of jude the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James, and then finally we end up the year in Revelation. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Thursday, looking forward to talking through these four great books, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, while Paul is awaiting his fate, and we'll talk a little bit about that next time too. As best we can tell from history, he is released, travels some more, including all the way to Spain, is re-arrested and comes back to Rome and is ultimately put to death sometime around 65 to 67 AD. But before that happens, he has a few more things to say. I'm looking forward to sharing those things with you this coming Thursday. God bless.